you just stopped and said, God, I want to thank you for today. Sure, it was hotter than I like it, but I'll wish it was like this in the middle of the rainy season in the winter. Lord, I realize that things aren't exactly the way I want you, but you've given me this moment. You've put breath in my lungs, Lord. You've given me this day to make much of you. When was the last time we did that? Just stopped and said, thank you, Lord. Gratitude is a popular idea right now. You don't have to look very far to read or hear someone talking about how being grateful can make a big difference in your outlook on life. Well, as widespread as this practice is, it's also biblical. Today, Pastor Daniel asks you to consider when you last stopped to thank God for something. God wants you to acknowledge that He's there, providing everything for you. So pause a second, look around, and say thanks. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Numbers chapter 29 as he continues his message, Offerings Revisited. All right, let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Numbers chapter 29. Numbers chapter 29 as we continue the study through the Bible, we're in the book of Numbers. So it's the fourth book in your Bible. So you have Genesis, you have the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, and the book of Numbers. And we're in our third series here, our final series in the book of Numbers. We're calling the series Preparation because really at the end of the book of Numbers and then all through the book of Deuteronomy, the children of Israel are literally on the border of the promised land, the land that God promised to give to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob after he delivered them from Egypt. And you know that repetition is the greatest teacher, right? When you need to learn something, you need to hear it over and over and over again. And over time, it begins to sink in. It gets down deep into your bones. I remember when I was learning how to play bass as a young, aspiring rock star. And I remember like having to learn the notes and I'd go over and over and over again, like, oh, what are these notes? And then at some point you're like, oh, okay, I know what that note is. You might not always play the right notes and I definitely don't, but you know what they are. And God wanted the children of Israel to be reminded about all of the different laws. You have to think that God had given them the laws at Sinai and following some almost 40 years earlier. And so before they're able to go into the promised land, God's like, I want you to go over them all again. So if you're one of those wild and crazy people who've been traveling with us through the Bible, some of this is going to be repetition. And if you are hearing it for the first time, well, it's going to be fresh for you. Let's jump right on in. Numbers chapter 29. Chapter 28 and 29 goes through all the different sacrifices. And when we saw Numbers 28, we saw, of course, the daily offerings, the Sabbath offerings, which were the weekly offerings. We saw the monthly offerings. And then we also looked at the offerings for Passover, unleavened bread, and the Feast of Weeks, which is called Pentecost. So really, we've already looked at going over again all of the normal offerings that would happen every day. 
the first day of every week, the Sabbath day, and all the monthly ones and the change of the month, and then all of what we would call today the spring feasts. Now, as we move into Numbers chapter 29, we move to the fall feasts, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast or the Day of Atonement, and then what would be called tabernacles or booths, depending on your translation. And so we've seen a lot of this already when we looked at the book of Leviticus chapter 23, but we're going to go over it again. So look at what it says in verse 1 of Numbers chapter 29. It says, and in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. For you, it shall be a day of blowing trumpets. You shall offer a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord, one young bull, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year without blemish. Their grain offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering to make atonement for you. Besides the burnt offering with its grain offering for the new moon, the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and their drink offerings according to their ordinance as a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Now, remember, all of the spring feast happened in and around the first month. Now we get the seventh month. So literally, it's a half a year later, and we get these series of festivals. The first one being what you would call the Feast of the Trumpets. Now, on this, it's the Feast of Blowing the Trumpet, which in the Hebrew is the word shofar, which is the ram's horn rather than the silver trumpets that you read about in Numbers chapter 10. So there's different types of trumpets. And so the idea, this is the blowing of the shofar. And it's an important reminder to us because The blowing of the trumpets were always used for the children of Israel as a way to summon the camp. Now, you got to realize this was before the day of the emergency broadcast system or instant information into your pocket. I know every once in a while my phone will go off and there's an important piece of information. And I'm like, okay. Long before that happened, they did things like blowing trumpets to get everyone's attention to say, hey, there's something that you need to know. Now, the Feast of Trumpets later in Judaism became the Rosh Hashanah, the festival of the new year. So it's a way to commemorate the new year for the children of Israel. Now notice on their feast, it says, you shall do no customary work. I love that about the Bible because we live in a culture that is kind of obsessed with work. We're really not obsessed with work. We're actually obsessed with money. And in order to get money, we have to work a lot. But oftentimes in the Bible, God gives place not only for a lack of work, but a lack of work so that we can celebrate. And it's something that I think because as Christians we become very concerned about sinful celebration, that we end up being non-celebratory. And I think that that's just tragic. 
Really, because Jesus was a man of celebration. Remember in the Gospels when they accused him of being a glutton and a wine-bibber? Literally, they're saying, you can't be a rabbi if you are having so much fun. They, they thought that there was something wrong with celebration, but all through our Bibles, we find that God gives the children of Israel a reason to celebrate. When we studied the book of Esther on Sunday mornings, Purim, two days of celebration. When was the last time you celebrated that you said, it's okay to stop and just enjoy Enjoy the moment. Commemorate something beautiful and amazing. I believe celebration is a spiritual discipline. It gives glory to God for what he has done. And for many of us, I think we've lost the art of celebration in the name of holiness. And in doing so, we've actually missed holiness. Because the only way we can be holy as the Lord our God is holy is to Be like God. And when you see God instituting, don't work, celebrate. Rejoice, enjoy. Now again, we don't want to celebrate in an unholy way. We don't want to make the same mistakes that we react against. But we need to give space in our hearts to rejoice. And so there's no customary work. It's the day of the blowing of trumpets. And I think that Miles Davis was very excited about the Feast of Trumpets. If you guys don't know Miles Davis, okay, just look him up. He's most famous, one of the most famous trumpeters in history, my personal favorite. And so notice we have all of the elaborate sacrifices. And if you were with us when we studied the beginning of the book of Leviticus, a series that we called Sacrifice, we went over each one of these because there's literally a sacrifice for a chapter. And we went over all these different things. Notice you have your burnt offering. It's a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. The idea is it's something that is pleasing to God. You guys know what it's like when you come home and maybe there's something cooking, you stuck something in the crock pot, or for me, sometimes I'll come home and little be cooking something, and you, I walk into the garage, and I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going to have some fun when I get inside, right? It's pleasing. And what it's saying is that sacrifices are pleasing to the Lord. Now, what does that mean for you and I? First, Jesus was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Jesus said, I always do those things which please my Father. And so Jesus' sacrifice of his own life for us in our place was well-pleasing to God, and God accepted that sacrifice for us. So Jesus is the sacrifice that makes the end of all sacrifices. But we do, even though Jesus is the atoning sacrifice, in response to that sacrifice, you and I offer the sacrifice of praise, When was the last time you just stopped and said, God, I want to thank you for today? Sure, it was hotter than I like it, but I'll wish it was like this in the middle of the rainy season in the winter. Lord, I realize that things aren't exactly the way I want to, but you've given me this moment. You've put breath in my lungs, Lord. You've given me this day to make much of you. When was the last time we did that? Just stopped and said, thank you, Lord, for today. It's really easy, isn't it, to lose that attitude of gratitude, so to speak. We're so used to being alive that we take life for granted. It's funny, every Wednesday night, 
on my way into church. It's my time. I'm a guy, so I'm not always the best on the phone. So I call my father on Mondays, and I call my grandparents on Wednesdays. And so they know when the phone rings and it's Wednesday, it's me. And they're like, hey, and they're excited. And because my, my grandfather, he's 92, my grandma's 89, they always say something to the effect of this. I'm like, how you doing? I'm here. It's a great day. And, you know, they say that because as my grandparents have gone on, a lot of their friends have passed on. And they realize what a precious thing life is. And it's funny because my grandma, she got an iPad so she can get on FaceTime with the kids. And she's like, this is so cool. I can see them. It's such a blessing to have eyes to see those cute kids. And that's such a necessary perspective because for many of us, we have gone through the entire day and we haven't appreciated anything. Everything is all so my car, it just, it's not as new as it used to be. And the air conditioning isn't as cold as it used to be. And all oh, the gas mileage is so bad. And, you know, it's like we're just taking it all for granted, aren't we? And in some ways, it's the curse of the affluence of our culture. It's so easy to take things for granted. It's so easy to take people for granted because they're always there. And you're used to seeing them. See, we need to praise God for his many benefits. And of course, God's greatest benefit is himself. We praise God not just for the gifts, but we praise God that he is God and we are in relationship with him. The sacrifice of praise pleases the Lord. It's us saying, God, thank you for providing. Thank you for being here. The Bible also says that we should present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. So because Jesus was sacrificed for us, all of us have to come and say, God, I give myself back to you. I am alive, but I am dead to my own way of life. Lord, who have you called me to be? How did you create me to be? And God, give me the faith of a child to follow you into those steps. Sacrifice is pleasing to God because it is not self-serving. It is self-giving. And true love is self-giving, isn't it? It's well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, we go through the burnt offerings. You get one young bull, one ram, seven lambs, all in their first year without blemish. Don't we always say that? God's, the sacrifices that we are to give to God are meant to be the best, not our worst. Now, I always like to comment on this because... I'm a lot like you, and I think that oftentimes we want to give God the leftovers rather than the best of what we got, right? Don't we do that? It's like we don't want to give God the pick of the litter, so to speak. We're going to say, well, I want that one. I want that one. I give that one to Aunt Janie, and that one I'm going to do this thing with, and then if I got anything left, I'll give it to the Lord. That's the complete wrong heart. You can imagine in this culture, somebody with these flocks be like, well, that's the ugly one. We'll sacrifice that one to the Lord. Right? Wouldn't we do that? And so over and over again, we see a young one without blemish, a pure one. Not only that, we get the grain offering, fine flour. We get the drink offerings and all the different offerings made by fire to the Lord. So on the Feast of Trumpets, we have these offerings. Now, I've shared this when we studied the book of Leviticus, that many people see the feasts 
of the children of Israel as prophetic as well, where they are types and pictures of God's fulfillment of the sacrifice. And we've talked about this, right, with the Passover, right? Jesus is the Passover lamb, the feast of unleavened bread. Jesus is the bread of life, right? You get the feast of weeks or Pentecost, right? It was the first of the harvest. In Acts chapter 2, what happened on the day of Pentecost? God poured out his spirit, and it was the birth of the church, the first fruits of the people of God. Now, I don't want to overly press that, but a lot of people say, well, we don't have the fulfillment of the spring feast or the fall feast in Jesus' first advent. Maybe we'll be fulfilled in his second advent. Now, if you go there, then people start saying, oh, well, is the rapture going to happen on the Feast of Trumpets? You know what the answer to that is? I don't know. Jesus said no man knows the day or the hour. So we don't want to overly press this, but it is interesting that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I realize that some people interpret that about the rapture, other people interpret that about the second coming of Christ, and we're not going to dispute that or debate that right here. And there's really good reasons to hold both positions. If you really study it, we have our preferences in different places, but if you really look at it, you're like, wow. You know, and so it's not as neat and tidy as we maybe want it to be. But that Feast of Trumpets, when the trumpet sounds and the angels go and they reap that harvest of the people of God, whether it's the rapture or at the second coming, it fits pretty nicely. Now, in verse 7, the offerings on the Day of Atonement. Look what it says. On the 10th day of this seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall afflict your souls. You shall not do any work. You shall present a burnt offering to the Lord as a sweet aroma, one young bull, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year. Be sure that they are without blemish. Their grain offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the one ram and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering. Besides the sin offering for atonement, the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and their drink offering. Now, you can read about this both in Leviticus chapter 16 and Leviticus chapter 23. Now, whereas the Feast of Trumpets was a celebration Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, was a somber gathering. Now, I need to make a point about this because the book of Ecclesiastes says that under heaven there's place for a time to rejoice and a time to mourn. There's a time for everything in life. And just as God gives place for celebration, God also gives place for lament. And in order for the joy to come with the morning, sometimes the sorrow has to last for the night. And Yom Kippur was a day of self-reflection. It was a day to look into your own hearts and say, and be honest about who you are and where you failed. It's an important idea because if you read Christian spirituality historically, there's a lot of writers who say before somebody can truly grow into the likeness of Christ, we have to come to terms with who we are. They would call that purgation. We don't use words like it's the purging of ourselves out of our own hearts. But really what it does, a day like Yom Kippur, 
a day of self-reflection where we afflict our souls. They would fast, you would do no work, you wouldn't eat, and you would take a personal inventory. You know what happens when you do that? You and I get humbled. When you and I are able to devote time in saying, you know, I failed at this, and I failed at this, and I made myself a promise that I was never going to do that again, and I did that all the time, and this and that. And literally, in the way Orthodox Jewish people practice Yom Kippur, they also go and call people and ask for forgiveness for the things that they did wrong. If any way they may have hurt them. I remember when I was a very young church planter in New Jersey. I was 25 years old, 26 years old, and I started studying the writings of the rabbis with some local rabbis and a guy who I met at the gym, actually. And I remember on Yom Kippur, he called me up on the phone and he said, he said, Daniel, my pastor, that's what you call me, his pastor? He said, I never thought I'd have a pastor, but you're my pastor. He's like, I want to ask for forgiveness. If there's anything that I've done that offended you or hurt you or dishonored you. And I was like, oh, Michael, I'm like, come on, bro. You're like one of the nicest guys I know. And he's like, well, no, seriously. It's like, if any way I offended you, I'm so sorry. I want to really honor the spirit of the Day of Atonement. When was the last time we did that? Because he didn't do anything. He never offended me. He never hurt me. But a lot of us have hurt a lot of people, haven't we? When was the last time we proactively just called someone and said, hey, I'm sorry if you got hurt. I'm sorry if I did something wrong. See, if you read the book of Psalms, the song book of the children of Israel, it's not only praise and rejoicing songs. But there's a whole segment of it that is lament. Lament for what's going on in their society. Lament for the psalmist's own issues. And God wants us not only to have place for celebration, but to truly have place for self-reflection. When was the last time you took a personal inventory on how you're doing? How are you doing with being frustrated? How are you doing with being judgmental? How are you doing with being humble? What's the pride look like? Now, listen, we all are in process. There's not one of us here who doesn't do things wrong. But what happens when you go to self-reflect is that oftentimes Satan wants to take the awareness of our fallenness and condemn us to drive us away from Jesus. That's the work of the enemy, to divide us from God because of our mistakes. But really... The conviction of the Holy Spirit is to draw us closer to Jesus. Because when you realize that you are a sinner, we should flee into the arms of our Savior. See, Jesus came because God knows that we don't have it together. God knows that we are worse than we realize. But God loves us still. And we need to be able to be really honest about who we are. We're not fooling God. We might fool somebody else, but we're not fooling God. Thanks for joining us today as Pastor Daniel shared that there should be a place in your life for self-reflection as well as celebration. He urged you to take some time to ask yourself how you're really doing and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal problem areas. But Pastor Daniel cautioned you not to get mired in shame or fear, but to flee into the arms of Jesus. He knows that you are a work in progress. You don't need to be embarrassed. He loves you, broken parts and all. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. 
I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. Thanks for joining us today for Jesus is Real Radio. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will share that Israel's highest of holy days, the Day of Atonement, began with a time of personal humility. They spent the day in self-reflection, thinking about their failures and their need for rescue. This allowed God to be God in their lives. Similarly, when you admit your brokenness and see His faithfulness, you'll let Him take the reins and be your king. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Preparation. Until then, may God bless.